socially awkward experience that I have had um, in my past. <laughs> you're like, oh no. So have you guys ever had a moment where you're out with your spouse and or a loved one, a family member, whoever it is, and you're shopping or at the mall or you're doing something and you guys kind of split ways, you're doing your own thing. And then you turn around and you go back to your said loved one and you're approaching them and you're about to say something to them or grab their shoulder or say hi, and, and you go up, and then they turn around, and it's not your loved one. And you do one of these, like you're coming up on them, and they turn around, and you're like, oh, yeah, that's not you. Okay. And so there's different varying degrees of this uh, mistaken identity experience. Okay, there's the kind where you're just kind of walking up to them, and then just at the last minute, you realize, oh, shoot, who that is not them. Okay, I'm glad that I saved myself that embarrassing situation. Then you have the times where you say something to them. Hey, babe. They turn around. You're like, you are not babe. Um, I don't know who you are. Sorry. Have a great day. Bye. And then you kind of walk away and you're kind of laughing and nervous and like, oh, that was weird. Or the, the worst is when you actually like lay your hand on them, you know. And so you walk up, hey, babe, hi, I, I meant she was over there. I just was moving through the crowd. I was just, you were kind of in the way, sorry. Uh, she's, okay, see ya. You know, and you have to come up with some excuse because this is really awkward, right? But you always leave those situations thinking it could have been much worse, right? Because you could have done more than that. Like you could have come up and like wrapped your arms around them, and that would have been terrible. If you guys have had that experience, I am so sorry. Right? But you have these moments where you missed it. And I've done it with my kids. I've done it with all sorts of members of my family. Not to mention the fact that I identify my kids by other kids' names constantly. Like, I try to talk to one of my children. I'm like, Lucia, Gabe, Justin, Des, Ju, whatever your name is, you get over here. Um, but it's a common occurrence, unfortunately of mistaken identity. Uh, and I think it's true that the enemy likes to lie to us and he likes to deceive us and to trick us into a similar situation of mistaken identity, but it's typically referring to ourselves. The devil wants to get you to believe the lie that you are who you once were or that your identity is tied to your past or it's tied to your even current mistakes that you are identified, you are defined by who you once were or what you once did or the mistakes that you've made. That's one of the greatest ploys of the enemy is to get us to believe that we are someone different than Jesus says that we are. And so today, the title of my message is Mistaken Identity. Mistaken Identity. Let's pray over the word. Lord Jesus, we want to receive from you Today, Holy Spirit, would you speak to our hearts? 
Lord, I pray that anything that I say that is of me will fall to the ground and die. Lord, but I pray that your word and your truth will remain and it will be planted in our hearts and bear fruit in our lives. We love you, Jesus. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Well, we are continuing in our season, in our series, walking through the book of Ephesians. Last week, we talked about Ephesians chapter 4, verses 7 through 16, and we talked about growing together, right? And how when we have community and we have this, what what Russ was talking about, this safe place, it actually creates a context for us to grow into maturity in Christ. There is a safe haven, if you will, like a greenhouse or a fortress in the body of Christ where we can thrive and we can grow because we have people who are looking out for us. We have people who can see our blind spots. We have people who can remind us who we are when the enemy lies to us and we start believing that we are defined by our mistakes. We have someone to tell us, no, that's not true. And so we talked about that last week and then Paul goes on in Ephesians chapter four, continuing to talk about this idea of spiritual maturity. But in verses 17 through 24, he starts talking about our identity in Christ and that we have a new man, a new self and an old self. And he's trying to let us know, hey, don't believe the lie that you are who you once were. Don't go back to the old way. It's an easy temptation. The enemy wants to bring us in. He's like, don't go back to the old way. You're a new person. So believe that you are new and live from that belief and that faith in the sacrifice of Jesus transforming your life. Okay, so let's look in Ephesians 4 verse 17. It says, so I tell you this and insist on it in the Lord that you must no longer live as the Gentiles do in the futility of their thinking. They are darkened in their understanding and separated from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them due to the hardening of their hearts. Having lost all sensitivity, they have given themselves over to sensuality so as to indulge in every kind of impurity, and they are full of greed. So this is pretty intense. And I don't know about you, but if I'm reading this, I'm, I'm not thinking, yeah, that's what I want to do. I want to sign up for that, Paul. I want to have the futility of my mind and my understanding darkened, to be alienated from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in me and the hardness of my heart. And I'm going to give up sensitivity and practice sensuality and every form of impurity and be full of greed. Like that's not something that we typically say, oh, yeah, darn, that was so tempted to dive into all of that, right? The enemy doesn't get us that way, right? That's not, that's not the case. And Paul's trying to say, this is what it leads to, your old way leads to this. He's not saying this is what the enemy is going to tempt you with because it's not going to work, right? It's more subtle than that. What does happen in our lives is when we first come to Jesus, there is this passionate desire, right, to know him. There's a fire kind of in our bellies, like, man, this, this living spirituality, this vibrant spirituality. I want to experience God. I want to see his glory and his presence. And, you know, and so whether we're teenagers or we're young adults or whatever it is, when we first come to know Jesus, there's this passion that's within us. And we want to leave all and follow Christ. And, and we're excited about God. But then what happens? Life. <laughs> Life 
happens, right? And so, and maybe it's our job responsibilities come in. Or we get married, we have kids, we have different responsibilities in our life. Things are starting to crowd out the presence of Jesus. Our life gets so full of stuff that that vibrancy doesn't have any space or room to flourish. It's like no air for the fire to breathe in, right? Fire needs air. And so if there's no space in our life, then what happens to the fire? It goes out, right? And so Jesus talks about this in the parable of the sower and how the, the cares of this world are like the thorns that rise up and choke out the word of God to where it doesn't bear fruit in our life. These, the deceitfulness of riches, all the responsibilities, all the things that tie us to this world choke out the word of God and there's not room for it to flourish. And then the more and more this happens, the sensitivity that we once had to the life of God begins to dull. And we realize that we're not feeling God anymore. We don't feel his presence the way we once did, maybe. And in our passion for the Lord has waned. But then the waves of life keep coming. And they keep hitting us. And it keeps wearing us down. And that's what the enemy does. He wants to wear down the saints. It says that in Daniel. He wants to wear down the saints. And so it keeps coming. And then we start looking for a reprieve. Because this world is hard. This life is difficult. Everyone will experience. Jesus promised it. In this world, you will have tribulation. Like, it's, it's not going to be easy. Right? He says, be of good cheer, I've overcome the world. But he's like, you're going to have that. Hard times are going to come. And then we look for reprieve, something to make us feel better. Something. And this is where the enemy gets us. He says, I got something. I got something that's going to make you feel better. And then we begin to revert back to our old self or our old way of thinking our old value system, looking for immediate gratification, something that's immediately going to soothe the pain or the hurt that we're feeling from this life. Ephesians 4.19 says, Having lost all sensitivity, they have given themselves over to sensuality, so as to indulge in every kind of impurity, and they're full of greed. When you don't feel internally, you put extra value on feeling externally. When you're not feeling here, and that sensitivity is not there spiritually, then you put extra value on what you can feel, the external, the physical world. And that's not always immoral, but it's just the physical world. And so what happens over time is our value system shifts to where we value the physical world more than the spiritual. Because that's where we have feeling. Because we've lost a sensitivity. And so we lean naturally. It's natural to do that. To lean in to where we're feeling. And this is where the enemy gets us. So he talks about the futility of their mind. That word futility means like futile or worthless because it's deceptive and ineffectual. Um, 
Ecclesiastes talks about this a lot. If you guys have ever read Ecclesiastes, uh, the writer of Ecclesiastes constantly says this word over and over again. And it depends on the translation, but it says meaningless. Right, meaningless. Everything is meaningless or vanity. Everything's vanity, vanity. And what he's saying is empty. Like the pursuit of pleasure, the pursuit of achievement in this world, all the different things that you can pursue, riches, all this stuff. He's like, it's empty. It's vanity. It's grasping for the wind. And that word in the Hebrew is called hevel. And it represents smoke. So it seems as though it has substance right? Smoke is something visible. You can see it, but then when you grasp for it, you're empty-handed. And that's what the enemy uses to soothe us in our grief and in the hardship of our life is something that appears to have substance, but in the end, it can't be grasped. So when life starts to wear us down, what do we do? We grasp for substance. We need something substantial, right? Because we're, we feel the, the weight of the world at different times in our life. And sometimes less than sometimes others, right? Sometimes there's more, sometimes there's less. But we're looking for substance. We want substance, right? Something that's really going to make a difference. But when our value system has shifted, then we look to the physical. And we medicate with something physical. And so that doesn't necessarily mean immoral. Like I said, it's not necessarily sin. It could be, you know, video games or watching a movie or eating food or, you know, whatever, right? We look for something that will just, oh, you know, just something, a, a way to relax or whatever, or decompress, and that's fine um, in moderation, right? And so, but when we rely upon that entirely, what happens is it will come up empty, right? It's not going to be enough. It's not substance. So we do it over and over again, it's like taking Tylenol, right, for the symptoms, but it's not curing the wounds of our heart. And this ends up leading to impurity. So Paul's saying, it's not like you're going to just jump into that. It's this subtle thing where the enemy says, hey, just take this. Just take this. Just take this. And you're like, okay, okay, okay. And eventually, we rely on that medication enough, then it opens the door to immorality. It opens the door to sin. It opens the door to harmful and destructive behaviors from that place. And then as that continues, it eventually leads us to this place of insatiability. That word greed, that's what that means. You can't be filled. Like it's like a black hole in your heart. You're just anything. You're just devouring things, but nothing is satisfying. And over time, as that happens, we lose heart. We lose heart. We become disappointed. And that leads to that extreme that Paul's talking about here of being unfeeling. We, just don't, even, we don't even feel anymore. We're just numb. And then we go through life kind of just in this medicated grogginess. And it's amazing. It sounds insane and intense. Like, why? who would ever sign up for that? But it just happens all the time. In my own life, I've seen it happen. And I don't even notice it when it starts to happen until I wake up and I'm like, wait a minute, I haven't felt God in a while. I, I feel like I'm leaning into something that's harmful. But Paul's reminding us, this is the old you. This isn't who you are anymore. This is who you once were. 
And he's trying to let us know, don't believe the lie that that's who you are. Because that part of you died with Christ. But this happens at different times in our lives, and I'm, I'm sure it's happened to you, it's happened to me, where you just kind of wake up and you realize, man, that, that flame that was there is it's not really there anymore. Or maybe it's there, but it's like barely holding on. Right? And you're like, how did I get there? But there is hope, as always, with Jesus. This, and I want, you, I want to let you guys know, this is a common occurrence. This is not uncommon. If that's you, guess what? Welcome to the club. That's all of us. We've all been there, right, where the flame just almost flickers. It flickers out or it's like barely there, like a pilot light, right? It happens to all of us. But there is hope in Christ, and it's not who we are. Ephesians 4, verse 20. He says, that, however is not the way of life you learned when you heard about Christ and were taught in him according with the truth that is in Jesus. He says, all that stuff, that insanity there, that stuff, that is not what you learned in Jesus. That's not who you are. And he goes on to talk about laying aside the old self for the new self. He says, this is not what you learned about Jesus in accordance with the truth that is in him. The way of life. So what is this way of life that Paul's referring to? Galatians 2.20, popular verse, says this, I have been crucified with Christ, and I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. The life I now live, this new way of living in the body, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. And so he says, this is the new life. The new life that we live, who you really are, is that old person, that's dead. That was crucified with Christ. That's not who you are anymore. That's been done away with because of the grace that is in Jesus. And he said, and now Christ lives in you. So if you think, I, man, I can't get over, I can't experience freedom, Christ lives in you. And the life that you now live, you can live by faith in the Son of God. What's the shift? The shift is, is our faith in ourselves to heal ourselves and to fix ourselves or as our faith in Jesus. That's the shift of the old and new life. Where is our faith? It's not in ourselves. It's in Jesus now. Our hearts are in his hands. So what is this new life, the life we now live? There's three things I want to talk about that we see in the life that we now live, the new us. All right, number one, it's giving Jesus full access to our hearts. The new life we live gives Jesus full access to our hearts. We invite him in, right? When we accept Christ, we invite Jesus in. And that's why I think it's so, it's so alive. We're so alive and our, our, our spirituality is so vibrant is because we invite him into everything. We're just, we're all in. You can have access to every part of my life. I'm all in Jesus. And so we continue to invite him in. That's what David did. He continued to invite him in. It wasn't just a one-time deal. Consistently inviting God in. What, what do I mean by that? David was honest with the Lord. And honesty is an invitation. And so when we pray like David did, brutally honest with God, we are inviting God in to the deepest parts of our heart. And so he invited, he invited God in regularly 
But in order for this to happen, for him to heal and to cleanse and to restore that sensitivity in our hearts, it starts with awareness that Jesus is always present with us at all times. He's there. In order for us to invite him in consistently, we have to acknowledge the fact that he's always there consistently. He doesn't go anywhere. He never leaves us. He never forsakes us. And then what happens as we learn to grow in our awareness of God's presence with us, when hardship happens, our first response is, Jesus, will you help? Right? And sometimes the best prayer is God help. Why? Because it's honest. God help. But when we're aware that Jesus is there, then we can, we'll, our mind will go to him when hardship comes. God, would you help? And then we know that he's not way up there. God, will you help? You know, like we have to get his attention. He's right here. God, right here. God, will you help? So awareness. So Jesus is there. But then another part of inviting him in is acknowledging and being aware of what we're going through and what we're feeling. And being honest about what we're feeling. And saying, this is, this is just being honest with God. This is where I am. God, I don't know what the heck is going on. I don't know what you're doing up there. You know, being honest. That's what David did. Be honest with God. It's inviting God in. Invite God into your doubts. And he'll confirm his truth. But invite him in. Invite him in. But we have to be honest with ourselves in order to do that. What are we actually feeling? What are we going through? So then we, we acknowledge Jesus is there. Our feelings, our experience is there. And then we can invite him. Say, all right, Jesus, this is what I'm feeling. Now I'm inviting you in. And you might say, there's so much. Because if we haven't done that in a while, our hearts get buried. And just all of the hardship, all the struggles, all the different things, they kind of get buried in there. And so we might say, gosh, I don't even know where to begin. I don't know where to start. I, I, there's so much stuff that I feel like it's built up in my heart. Where do I begin? Listen, Jesus has this way of cutting through all the stuff and getting right to the heart. He just has this incredible way of doing that. He's pretty amazing in that sense. The Bible says the word of God is what? Living and active, sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing through the division of soul and spirit, joint and marrow, and is a discerner of the thoughts and intentions of the heart. Meaning, the truth that is in Jesus can cut right through and get right to the heart of where we're at. No matter how much stuff is in the way. He can cut right through the minutia and get to the heart. And you see this in his life. Look at the woman who was caught in adultery. Right? Everyone's around her. They pull Jesus in and say, Jesus, this woman was caught in the very act of adultery. The law says that we should stone her to death. What do you say? And Jesus has this famous line. He says, huh? Let him who's without sin cast the first stone. And all the guys are like, mm, darn. Yeah, that's not me. And they kind of all walk away, the oldest first, because they know. That's not me. And so everyone parts, 
in this whole crowd, everything that happened was about her sin. Your sin, your sin, your sin. Jesus goes to the woman, says, where are your accusers? Has no one condemned you? She looks at Jesus, says, no one, Lord. And then Jesus looks at her in the eyes and he says, neither do I condemn you. He speaks to the heart. Shame. Can you imagine the weight of shame that she was feeling in that moment? He speaks directly to the heart. I don't condemn you. Go and sin no more. Neither do I condemn you. He speaks right to her identity. You're my daughter, and I don't condemn you. And then you see the paralytic in Luke 5. His friends, Jesus is teaching in a house. The friends rip open the roof during his sermon. Wouldn't that be weird? I mean, that's what they have to do here, you know. They rip open, I'm not, I mean, it's Jesus was preaching, of course, not me. I know one's doing that. But, so they, he, they rip open the roof. Jesus is preaching, and then they lower the paralytic on a mat, on a mattress, down in front of Jesus. So clearly, what everyone's thinking is, miracle time, healing, yay. And they, we got there, we got our friend right in front of Jesus. He's going to heal him, it's going to be so cool. Get ready. And so they're all watching, they're all waiting. And then Jesus says, your sins are forgiven. Everyone else was thinking, he can't, he can't walk, Jesus. <laughs> uh, it wasn't, wasn't that we weren't going for confession. We we're, you know, he can't walk. That's why we brought him here, you know, through the roof on a mat. But Jesus says, son, your sins are forgiven. He spoke to the heart. Shame. Clearly, that was something that this guy was dealing with. Condemnation. Jesus says, your, sons, your sins are forgiven. And then he's like, oh, and just so you guys know, I have the power to forgive sins. Go ahead and stand up and walk. And he's like, oh, sweet, thanks. <laughs> Jesus knows how to get to our heart, no matter what's in there. And he has a way of doing that that is so gentle and pastoral. He's a shepherd and he's good. So this is a choice of letting God care for us rather than just popping those pills of immediate gratification and finding some way to soothe ourselves and say, no, Jesus, I want to invite you in. I want you to care for me. And it's a conscious decision to detox from a feel-better-now mentality. It's like a detoxing. It takes time to kind of get out of that. It's not like a, an immediate thing. It takes time to, to say no to what might soothe us in the moment in order to receive healing from Jesus. So as we grow in our awareness of God and we say yes to him, caring for our hearts, and we invite him in, we begin to notice more clarity in our lives less grogginess, more energy, more life, a better attitude. We have more hope, more resilience when hard times come. We have more faith, more gratitude, and all the, I said more gratitude, more gratitude. We have more and more and more gratitude. It's true. In every way, 
The condition of our hearts is no longer contingent upon the comfort of our lives. The condition of our hearts is no longer contingent upon the comfort of our lives. Our hearts are in a good place no matter what life brings because Jesus is holding our hearts. And this is the truth of the gospel. This is our new life that Christ purchased for us. We have access to Jesus now. No matter where we're at, no matter what we've done, we have access. And he's going to meet us with love and care and provide security. Okay, so number one in the life that we now live is, we giving, is giving Jesus access, full access to hearts. Number two in this life that we now live is losing ownership of our old self. Ephesians 4.22, you were taught with regard to your former way of life to put off your old self, which is being corrupted by its deceitful lust. Deceitful because it's deluded, it's not true. These desires, grasping for substance. He says, put off that. So lay aside. That's what it means, to put off your old self. It literally just means to lay it aside. It's like taking off a coat and putting it down. It's not like a rigorous, meant to be this rigorous process. It's just, this is not who I am, so I'm going to lay this down now. And it's because of Jesus that we're able to do that. It's accepting the truth that I'm not who I was. I'm not who I was. I'm who Christ died for me to be. And so we don't have to guard our hearts from Jesus because he loved us and gave himself up for us. He's earned our trust. But then we don't have to pick up our old way anymore. We don't have to do that. We don't have to be immediately gratified anymore. We don't have to have those things. Now, in the past, the Bible says anyone who sins is a slave of sin. We had to. That was the only way we could find relief before we knew Christ. But now, he is the one who heals and restores, not something else. And so we don't have to pick it up anymore. In fact, if we do make the mistake and we choose to find some way to gratify ourselves that's harmful, that isn't good, instead of just being overwhelmed with shame and guilt, like the woman caught in adultery, instead of that, and saying, oh no, look at who I am. I am this mistake. I am this person. We say, oh shoot, this isn't mine. We take it up, this is not me. Oh shoot, that's not who I am. I am I'm, I'm who Jesus says that I am. Like we, like we sang today. I'm gonna take this, this isn't me. I'm taking this off. Verse 23, to be made new in the attitude of your minds and to put on the new self created to be like God in true righteousness and holiness. It says it's an attitude of our mind. That word attitude means a a current, like a current of of a stream or water, a, a rationale of our mind, the ability to think clearly and sensibly. And so to not be misled or deluded into thinking something is true that isn't which is that we are our old self. That's not true. And so having a new attitude of our mind says this is who I am, who Christ died for me to be. Because this is what the enemy wants us to do. He wants us to get stuck in this cycle of temptation, condemnation. Temptation, condemnation. He tempts us to do something that's wrong, that's harmful. And we, we give in. And then, so he's like, come on, this is what you want to do. This is going to fulfill you. This is going to fulfill you. And then you act on it, and he's like, I can't believe you just did that. And it's the same person. I can't believe you. Look at you. 
you're shameful. You're this. You're a terrible person. That's who you are. And so then we feel terrible, and then we look for relief. So we give in to temptation, and then we feel terrible because he shames us again. We break out of the cycle when we make the mistake. We put on the old self, and we're like, oh, wait, this is not me. This is not me. So the enemy can't come in. He doesn't get a foothold. He can't get you to stay in that cycle of being medicated, that grogginess of not knowing who we are and being deluded into thinking we are someone that we're not. That blurry thinking. Because we've been crucified with Christ. Our old self is dead, and now Christ lives in us, the new life. 2 Corinthians 5.16 says, So from now on we regard no one from a worldly point of view. Though we once regarded Christ in this way, we do so no longer. Therefore, verse 17, if anyone is in Christ, the new creation has come. The old has gone. The new is here. And in verse 18, all this is from God. The new life has come. God has made us a new creation. Old things have passed away, the Bible says. All things have become new. But we say, well, but I've sinned. I've, I've done something wrong. Sure, we can pick it up and put it on, but it doesn't mean that's who we are. It doesn't define us. The new self is, some, is received, not earned. It's received from Jesus. It's his gift. He did the work. He died on the cross. He suffered the shame. And now, because of his grace, he's given us new life. And the Bible says in Romans 3 that he's declared us to be righteous. He says, this is who you are. He made him who knew no sin, Jesus, to be sin on our behalf so that we might become the righteousness of God in him. True righteousness, not self-righteousness. says, like God in true righteousness, the righteousness that's received because of the finished work of Jesus. That's our new man. And true holiness. Ephesians 1, that we're blameless before God in love. He's made us accepted in the beloved. He's adopted us into his family, not by any of our own works, but by faith in the grace and work of Jesus. This is our new life. So, we give Jesus access to our hearts. We lose ownership of the old self. And then the third thing here in our new life, the life we now live, is saying no to decision-making based on our old value system. So when the temptation comes to make a decision based on the old value system, the old value system is immediate comfort and gratification above all else. Like, that is it. That's what we need, right? And so we can say no because of the grace of Jesus in us, because Christ lives in us now. It's not I who live, but Christ who lives in us. So we can say no to that, and so we choose the clarity of Christ-likeness over the grogginess of gratification. That is our choice. Because the way has been made for us to choose that. And so we don't have to live as we once did. And Jesus is convincing us. He's saying, this is who you are. You're not who you once were. Don't let your mistakes or your past define you today. Amen? So I want to close with this. All of this starts by giving Jesus access. Giving Jesus access to 
our hearts. And that takes courage to be honest with where we are, to be honest with what we're feeling, what we're experiencing with God, and even to maybe trusted people in our life. But it starts with saying, all right, God, I'm tired of trying to fix things myself. I give up. I know who you say I am, and I want to believe that. I want to believe it. But I need you to cut through all the other stuff that's been in my heart and just go straight there the way only you can to speak a simple truth. Neither do I condemn you. To speak a simple truth, your sins are forgiven. Or something, whatever it is that we need to hear. I need you, Jesus, to break through all of that and just get straight to my heart. So this is what we're gonna do. We're gonna close in worship, in a song of worship. And I'm gonna have our prayer team too come up. So elders, or if you're on the prayer team, if you can kind of just go on either side of the room here. And listen, we just wanna pray with you. And so if you're saying, man, I, I'm in that place. I don't know, that flame in my heart, that sensitivity to God has just kind of waned. Or maybe it's gotten real small, or maybe it's been blown out, whatever it is. It's amazing how God can ignite a fire in a moment. Right? He did it with Elijah on the top of Mount Carmel. He can ignite a fire no matter how wet the wood is. God is able to do that. He's able to break through. And so if you're saying, man, I, I, I don't know when the last time was that I felt God. And you want to experience God again. This is the invitation. is saying, just come into God. We're going to worship to that song, I Am Who You Say I Am. And just giving God, saying, God, this is where I am. This is where my heart, heart is, God. I invite you in. And it sounds so simple. It's like, how does that do anything? It's not about what we're doing. It's about where our faith is aimed and pointed. It's in Jesus and not in ourselves. And it takes faith, it takes courage. Or, and listen, if you want prayer for any reason, we want to pray with you. That's what we're here to do. So would you stand with me? If there's anything in your life, you want prayer for anything at all, we want to stand with you in prayer. And I know that takes courage, but... As we respond to this song, if you want prayer, I just encourage you to come to one of our elders, one of our staff members. They're going to pray with you. Um, And then if not, just right where you are, just close our eyes. Let's give our attention to Jesus. Jesus, thank you that you meet every need, that you can cut through to our hearts. Lord, and whatever it is that we need to hear, God, whatever it is to restore that sensitivity, that life of God, that flame within us, God, you're able to do that. You're able to cause it to burn even brighter. And so, Lord, we invite you. We invite you in. As we sing this song, Father, we just invite you in. Say yes to your truth about who we are. Put off the old self and we put on the new self. In Jesus' name. Let's respond in worship. I am chosen, not forsaken. I am who you say I am. You are for me, not against me. I am who you say I am. I am chosen, not forsaken. I am who you say I am. 
Father, I just pray any lie of the enemy that may be rolling around in our hearts or in our minds that we say that says that we are not enough, that we should be ashamed, that we are not loved, that we are not accepted, Lord, we rebuke those lies in Jesus' name. Lord God, and we receive the truth of your word, the truth that you have spoken, that we are righteous because of your blood, Jesus, that was spilt. Lord God, that you've purified us. You've made us whole. You've made us new. We are new creations in Christ. Old things have passed away and everything's become new. And so, Lord, we accept that as our identity, Jesus. And Lord, I pray that you will give us the grace to remember that you are always with us, that you always are for us, that you love us perfectly and you see us and know us or that we can trust you or with our lives we can be honest with you and invite you in you are so good thank you for your goodness we love you jesus in jesus name amen amen i love you guys you are wonderful uh, and uh we're gonna continue next week in our series in ephesians so Enjoy that. Have a wonderful week, and we'll see you next week.